When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, unless this is your first time tuning in to Monsters Among Us, you've probably already heard about microdosing and how all sorts of people, myself included, are microdosing for a creative boost, mood lift, and a greater sense of calm. Tonight's sponsor, Microdose Gummies, delivers the perfect entry-level doses of THC and CBD for people who want to feel great without getting high from just one microdose. Microdose Gummies help me kick back and chill out after a long day. They also help with insomnia, pain management, workout recovery, and a whole lot more. Now, other hemp products tend to focus exclusively on CBD, but microdose gummies are different. They harness the full power of cannabinoids and terpenes in perfect balance with the classic effects and benefits of THC. Now, I'm not going to gloss over the fact that I mentioned THC, but before you tense up, know that microdose gummies are legal everywhere in the United States. So if you could use some more chill vibes in your life, why not give them a try? Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. slew of them slated for this evening, carefully arranged and curated with you in mind, tales of ghosts of long ago, 
strange objects in our night skies. Maybe even a monster or two. Now what makes the tales you're about to hear extraordinarily terrifying is the fact that they are each claimed to be real, true life experiences. Shared by those subjected to the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Stories submitted to our toll-free hotline. But more on that here in a bit. First, allow me to introduce tonight's first monstrous entry. From the opposite end of the Golden State, from where I'm seated tonight, please join me in welcoming Ray to tonight's program. Hi, my name is Ray. I actually live in San Antonio, Texas, but my story actually took place in Grass Valley, California. When I was really young, I was listening to you know your podcast for the first time last night, and there was a 911 call about a Bigfoot on Caleber Road and uh, 151, which is pretty much where I've lived my whole life. And it made me really want to tell my story because I've been telling it my whole life to everybody and most find it funny. But, you know, I, I remember back and it, it absolutely terrified me when I was young. My entire family, my dad's side, my mom's side, are from Nevada City, uh, Grass Valley, California, which is kind of Northern California, um, up in the mountains. Used to be a gold mining town. Lots and lots and lots of forest out there. And then my grandparents lived really high up on a hill, almost like a, like on a mountain. So whenever we'd go to visit them, you know, we would stay, you know, in my mom's old room, my sister and I, and where the bed was, the window was to my right, which kind of faced the backyard, which there was no fence. It just literally looked out into the woods, but we were high up off the ground. So you could kind of see, you know, further down, there was a big wooden deck with stairs that went all the way down to the ground. And so one night I was asleep and I woke up and we had probably been staying there for at this point, maybe three, four days while we were visiting. And I, I woke up and at the foot of my bed, I would see the light coming from the patio outside of the window, you know, shining onto the wall at the foot of my bed because the light fixture was kind of right outside when you'd go out into the, the upper deck. And so if you were to take a left when you went out the back door, and walk maybe, you know, eight or nine feet, the window to the room I was staying in would be kind of right there. So there was a light that just kind of, you know, cascaded in. And it always made me feel really comfortable and safe. But this one night I woke up and, you know, was kind of laying there. And I remember looking at the foot of my bed and immediately noticed something different. You know, I was very used to kind of, you know, seeing nothing on the wall, maybe just seeing kind of like the the shadow of, of the blind, you know, horizontal lines, you know, kind of on the wall. And I immediately noticed something kind of shift into view, I guess you could say, not really view, but the shadow just kind of moved into view. And all I could see was the shadow of a head and shoulders. It seemed really big, really broad. And I mean, I, I remember immediately kind of stopping breathing because I was so scared. I was maybe five years old. I was really young. So this would have been maybe in like 1989, if I had to guess. I was like four or five. So I know I was really young, but I remember being wide awake and seeing it. And I just sat and stared at it. And I remember having the covers kind of pulled up to my chin 
and being so afraid to even blink or breathe because I felt like if I did, whatever it was would, you know, know that I was watching it or watching its shadow. And the one thing that stands out the most to me was that it was breezy outside and I could tell that the shadow was something that looked hairy. The head, the the shoulder, the, you know, the neck as it, you know, the head came down into the shoulders and, you know, stretched out. I could see that it was covered in hair because the wind outside was moving it. And I remember focusing on that more than anything, more than you know, the, the size of it, but but just seeing the breeze blow the fur on the, the shadow on the wall. And I don't know how long I stared at it. I, I feel like I stared at it for an eternity because I was so afraid. All I wanted to do was get out of bed and run and get my mom, my grandparents. But again, I was just so frozen with fear, I couldn't move. So I just remember kind of slowly but surely, you know, pulling up the covers more, you know, as much as I could until they covered my face. So I didn't have to look at it anymore. And then I remember waking up in the morning and immediately kind of looking back at the wall. You know, the day the sun was out, the shadow of course was gone, it was daylight. And, you know, I remember getting out of bed and going to the back, you know, walking out of the room, down the hall, through the dining room and, you know, sliding open the patio door to the back deck. And, you know, even though it was daylight, I was still terrified. And I remember just kind of sliding it and sticking my head out and looking, you know, to the left down the, the walkway of the deck and uh, there was nothing, you know? And I kind of remember looking around at like, what? Even at that age, I remember thinking maybe something else cast a shadow, but it was just an empty deck. There was nothing out there except further down to the right, there was a little, you know, fridge, you know, a little, my grandpa kept his beer. <laughs> But it was, you know, like I said, far to the right, there was really nothing that the light, you know, would have, that I could see that would have caught it and looked the way it did, you know, with the, the shoulders and the brawn and the, the fur. Then I, you know, kind of remember just, you know, looking out into the woods and just getting so scared. I just, I went in and I just, I couldn't go out there for as long as I can remember. I was always afraid to go back out there. Anytime we'd go for a walk, I was always very, you know, jittery and, you know, no one believed me. I told you know, my parents, my my grandparents, and you know they all just laughed at me. But, but yeah, they they had never seen anything. My my grandpa to this day says he never ever heard anything out there. But I know I wasn't dreaming. I know I was awake. And again, the the biggest thing that I remember more than anything was just the fur, the hair. You know, kind of moving in the wind back and forth, and just how it it slid into view or slid into the light, and was motionless, you know, just sat there. It didn't move, only the fur, you know, kind of caught the wind. But uh, yeah, that was my story. I really appreciate you guys uh, giving me a chance to tell it as well. Thanks, Ray. Now I'd listened to Ray's call several times, but could not pick out the clues, which would tell me when the story took place. All that we know is that it happened when Ray was still a child. Now, why do you even care? Some of you may be wondering. Well, depending on exactly when Ray was a kid, his sightings could have correlated with several other different flaps that occurred in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area of California throughout the years. Based on the information, it seems a creature may migrate to the area once every 10 years or so, based on the dates listed next to a series of sightings found on Mad Moneymaker's BFRO website. So let's tie it all together, shall we? 
Let's just say that Ray was born in the 90s. Well, in that case, in the early 2000s, when Ray would have been a young child. There were several sightings reported in that very area. Sightings that seemed to describe the exact same thing that Ray claims that he saw. Here is a number of examples via the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. 2002, along Deer Creek and Slate Creek Road in Nevada City, California. Observed, a neighbor's chicken coop was raided. I investigated and what struck me immediately was the strength necessary to bend and compress the wire used in my neighbor's coop. There's no way with my bare hands I could bend and compress the wire of this cage. I also collected hair samples. No cat could have done this. A bear would have taken a much more destructive entry. 2003, near Grass Valley, California. Observed. I suspect that my son may have seen a Bigfoot in early December 2003. His mother and I are divorced. He told me that he thought he had seen Bigfoot while walking home from his bus stop. Now, normally, my ex-wife picks up my son at the bus stop, but he had asked to walk home this day. It is about a half a mile from the bus stop to his house. As he was cutting across the woods about 100 feet from the bus stop and 20 feet off the pavement, he jumped onto a stump, and below him he saw a black figure, taller than 5 foot 10. It was about 15 feet from him and breathing very heavily. It had its arms to its side and was rocking slowly side to side. My son was afraid, but he did not want to scream in case the animal reacted badly to the noise. He just slowly backed up the hill, keeping his eyes on the creature, and when he got to the pavement, he ran home. He said the creature turned its head to follow his movements, but otherwise didn't move. 2004, just outside Nevada City, California. Observed, we were driving up the road to pick up our son at a friend's house when the creature passed in front of our vehicle, approximately 15 to 20 feet in front of us. It was clearly illuminated by our headlights. It appeared 7 to 8 feet tall with thick black-brown hair and had two long legs and only took two strides to cross the street. Then, about 30 minutes later, on our way back, we saw it again. This time, our son was with us. Now, let's just say that I was wrong, and Ray is a little bit older. Maybe he was born in the late 70s or early 80s. In that case, he would have been just a youngster when this sighting took place. 1987, Zion or Downeyville Highway, Nevada City, California. Observed. In the late summer of 1987, my friend and I were riding our bicycles down an old mine road southwest of town. The road went down to a creek, and we went down to that creek. And on our way back, we pushed our bikes up the road because it was steep. The road goes along the side of a canyon and was asphalt turned light gray and crumbling. When we were maybe a third of the way back up, it was incredibly quiet. Then suddenly, a crashing, breaking sound came from across the canyon. There was something running like a man covered in dark hair. It was coming straight toward us, down the other side of the canyon. It was breaking small trees about one to two and a half inches in diameter, on its way down like they were made of balsa wood. We both saw this at the same time. It was making a beeline toward us. It scared the hell out of us, and we ran as fast as we could trying to bike up the hill, but it was faster running in the end, at least till we got nearer to the top. There was no way it was a bear. It was clearly running like a man, and the head was small like a man, with dark eye sockets. It was moving fast, and it was a steep grade it was coming down. 
whether it was running from something or at something. I don't know. And although I doubt it, perhaps Ray was born even earlier than I suspected. Say the early 1970s or late 1960s. You guessed it. There's a sighting to back up that time period as well. 1978, McCourtney Road near Highway 48 in Grass Valley. Observed, one night in 1978, my four-year-old daughter and I, along with my boyfriend and his family, were standing around a huge bonfire we had built. They lived on a ranch out in the country. It was dark, about nine o'clock at night, and the stars were out bright. We were roasting marshmallows and having a good time. Suddenly, we heard a sound none of us heard before. It came from the bottom of a small canyon nearby the ranch. It was a very loud screech, howl, yelling, burst of noise. It filled the whole canyon up and down the creek bed with its hollering screech. We all began to ask, what could be making a sound like that? We knew it was the sound of an animal, but what kind we couldn't tell. We were frightened. As we listened, we realized that he was getting closer. We could hear the bushes crush under him as he pushed his way through them. We all dropped what we were doing and ran into the house. To my shame, when I got into the house, I realized that my daughter was left behind. I ran back outside to get her. She was still standing there in the same spot. I picked her up and brought her into the house. She told me that she saw him, the creature. She said that he was very big and very hairy. She said that he walked up to her and looked at her and then walked away. She still remembers seeing him that night. I just asked her about it a month ago. I guess it will be a night we both will never forget. Now I've been to this general area where Ray is describing, and he's correct in saying that there's an abundance of forest there. Plenty of space to hide more than a few wood apes. But I certainly can't say what it was that Ray witnessed that evening. But I hope these reports help him to realize that he's not the only one that's seen something strange a couple dozen miles east of Lake Tahoe. And if the trend in these sightings suggests anything, it's that we're due for another flap any day now. So thanks again, Ray, for putting that on our radar. Now, folks, if you have a story you would like to share on the show, a true story, the hotline is always open, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Simply call 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or shoot me an email with your pre-recorded message to monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, folks, this next entry is one of those that's more on the lighthearted side. But don't get used to it. I can promise you the rest are much more sinister. Linda from Ohio. The microphone is yours. Hi, Derek. This is Linda from Ohio. I just recently found your podcast, and I'm enjoying it. My story isn't spooky, but it surprised me when it happened. Now, I have to go back and tell you that my mother was of Italian descent, 
And when we were little, me and my sisters, we used to go over to her sister's house, my aunt, and she had this album that had this song on it that we loved to dance and sing to. It was called Pepino the Italian Mouse. Okay, now that's back then. That was in 1962 that the song was released. And now we're in our time now. About four years ago, I was talking to a man that I work with, and he's of Italian ascent too. And we were just talking about different things. And I happened to mention the song to him, and he said, oh yeah, I know that song. Well then, it was like two days later, I was driving to work, and I was just flipping through the radio stations, and Papino the Italian Mouse came on. Now this is a song from 1962. And I have no idea what station would be playing that now. But I just stopped and I started laughing. And I said, okay. I said, hi, mom. And that just led me to believe that the dead do communicate with us. So that was my story. And it made me feel good. So thank you. Goodbye. We appreciate the entry, Linda. Well, we've all heard stories like this before. A wink and a nod from the other side of the veil. In fact, I have a number of stories just like this that I'll eventually get to play here on the show. So it's a phenomenon that many people seemingly experience. Or at least it's highly reported. Now, I had not heard of the song that Linda brought up. So naturally, I had to go look it up for myself. And luckily, you can find just about anything on YouTube. Including Peppino, the Italian Mouse, by singer Lou Monte. The other night I called my girl, I asked her could we meet. I said let's go to my house, we could have a bite to eat. And as we walked in through the door, she screamed at what she saw. There was little Peppino doing a cha-cha on the floor. A link to that full tune can be found in tonight's show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com And thank you again, Linda, for the uplifting encounter. Now getting back into the action here, we venture back to the state of California. Oscar, give us all the details. Hey, Derek. This is Oscar from Riverside. So this is about a, not a UFO encounter, but it has to do with the UFO. So I used to be married, and I lived right there near the Tyler Mall in Indiana. And one day, I'm in my backyard, and I recently turned over the dirt because we were about to get some sod put in. And uh, we had some friends that lived literally around the corner uh, off of our street. So I'm in the back watering, and I hear something out of nowhere. And it just sounded like it was an aircraft that took off, but quickly. It was just a noise I wasn't used to. And for some reason, when I'm in the back and I'm watering this uh, foil, trying to compress it, uh, I think to myself, huh, that's what I imagine like a UFO sounds like. Like if it took off super quick. And, uh, and it wasn't loud. 
It wasn't loud whatsoever. But it was a little eerie. I looked around real quick, didn't think anything of it. And I was like, all right, you know, just moving on. So I finished outside. When I was outside, it was daytime. It was probably like around, uh, I want to say like about four, five o'clock. This is around like, probably like July, I want to say. So it's pretty warm. Anyhow, I go in and a few hours pass. You know, I shower, get ready for bed. And then uh, my wife jumps in the shower. She comes out afterwards. She looks at her phone and she kind of just laughs. And I was like, what happened? And then she was like, oh, so-and-so from around the corner just texted me asking me if we are able to see the UFOs that are on the hill. And this is the hill that they're talking about is located near like, uh, I want to say I'm going towards Corona. And I'm like, what? So right away, this crazy fear for some reason just goes into me and I go into the kitchen and grab a knife. Why? Because I have no other weapons and I know that's not going to do anything, but it made me feel slightly safer. And I was like, all right, lock all the doors, close all the windows, and let's just stay in this room. And my wife at the time was like, you're scaring me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, um, don't look outside. I'll be the one looking outside. I'm going to have to explain to you what happened earlier. And it could have been one of those things where it was a coincidence, but really... Are they really coincidences? I don't know. It's hard to say nowadays. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the fact that it all went down the way it went down was pretty trippy. But, um, anyhow, I hope this works for you, and uh, I appreciate you, and your show is great. Love it. Uh, I'm always listening to you. I went through your whole, through all your seasons. So you keep it up, and uh, we appreciate you, man. Take care. Thanks, Oscar. You know, Riverside is pretty close. In fact, I can see it in its entirety from just over the hill here. Albeit from a mile up. And to say that it sits in the middle of a UFO hotspot would be a great understatement. The entire SoCal region ranks incredibly high in regards to frequent sightings of unidentified flying objects. In fact, one of those prominent encounters took place just a few years ago and a few dozen miles from the Riverside area. But we'll cover more on that here shortly. Until then, thank you, Oscar, for setting the scene. Now I hear all the time how much people love the show. It's as humbling as it is inspiring. Well, one way you can show your love for the program and help it grow in the process is to buy and wear merchandise from our shop. Visit monstersamonguspodcast.com and smash the shop tab to gain access to dozens of designs destined for listeners just like you. Grab a hat, a t-shirt, some pins, a poster, totes, stickers, patches, and a whole lot more. That's monstersamonguspodcast.com and hit the shop tab. Now before we explore more, about Southern California UFO sightings. Let's cleanse our palate with this array of tales from Jenny, the state of Arkansas. Hi, Derek. My name is Jenny, and I am in South Carolina. About three years ago, I had a pretty strange event happen to me. I have never experienced anything paranormal that I've been interested in my entire life. Everything esoteric, 
and things like that, I'm into, I read tarot, but I had never had an experience of my own. And one night, it was really late. We had stayed up late because my husband was watching the Super Bowl and everybody was eating and drinking and all of that. I had my children already in bed. They had already been in bed for a few hours by the time that this event happened. And me and my husband had went to bed and he had already started snoring. So he was falling asleep and I was still laying there with my eyes open trying to fall asleep and inches from my face, right right by my face, I hear good night in a sweet female voice that was clear as day. It was loud enough that it woke my husband up and he said good night baby thinking that I had said good night to him and I told him I that wasn't me. I didn't say anything and so the next day I was pretty freaked out. I had made my husband tell it to get out of the room because it scared me. So the next day I started investigating, trying to figure out what could this be, trying to debunk it or figure out if it could have been anything else. And I couldn't find anything. Even our cell phones weren't in the room. They were on the charger on the counter in our kitchen. The children were asleep. There was nothing to explain this voice. And also, we lived right on a lake, and I know that bodies of water can amp up paranormal activity. Years later, this happened just the other day, I was trying to find a good spot to take a selfie. And we have a black curtain at our stairwell that goes upstairs in our house. And I thought, that black curtain will be a nice background. So I'm standing there trying to take a selfie, and right behind my head, I hear the word, hi, clear as day. I freaked out my selfie when I went back to look at it to see if there was anything interesting there. was nothing but a blur because I had jumped when I heard it. And then I have had, since then, we have two bathrooms. My bathtub water come on full blast while no one was in there. My shower came on full blast and it has done it several times. And I have thought and thought and thought about what could cause this to happen. We do have a swimming pool and all of that. Nothing was running on the pool at the time. I have no idea why the water would have come on on its own. And also my youngest child, she's five, she came to me and said some stuff in her room was moving on its own and she was terrified. She did not want to be in there. And I told her, okay, well, let's get some sage and we'll go smudge your room. So I lit it and it was so cute. She's in there warding away any bad spirits, going through all the corners of her room. We had her window open and all of that. But I didn't think about doing the entire house. I was just trying to make my daughter feel better about her bedroom. Well, I probably should have done it properly and saved the entire house, but I didn't. And then in the living room, she said, Mom, something is staring at me. I feel like something's staring at me. I'm really scared. 
And as soon as she said that, the same feeling hit me. And it was so strong that it almost made me nauseous. It made my stomach hurt. And I went outside because of the feeling. I went and sat on the back porch and smoked a cigarette. And while I'm sitting out there, it happens to me again. And I felt it behind me. And I feel something heavy, just this darkness, something staring through me, something on my back. And I have been feeling that on and off since I moved into the house that I'm in now. And another thing that has happened here is when I go upstairs, I feel horrible. I feel like I'm being told, get out of here, get out of here. And as I go down the stairs, every time I feel like I'm just being rushed down the stairs, like, go. I've not seen anything with my eyes, but I have felt it. And the majority of the time, I have to run down the stairs because it is so uncomfortable for me to be up there. I feel like it is angry and particularly towards me. And it may be because the house that I live in, my husband, his ex-wife and children used to live in this house and his teenage children, well, not teenage children, I'm 24, but they are right around my age, you know, in that age group. And they, have a lot, a lot of anger towards us. And I feel like that may be what I'm feeling up there because it's primarily in the room where the boys were is where I feel just this heaviness on me, wanting me out, get out. Just go down those stairs as fast as you can. Get out of my space. I burn sage in my house regularly. I do a lot of cleansing prayers. I grew up in a family that was pagan, and I'm used to being around all of that, but I never had experienced feelings like I have in this house. And that is my story about that. And then I have one more about a strange creature. Before I moved here, I lived in Arkansas. I lived in the middle of the Ozarks. My nearest neighbor was three miles away, and it was my mom. We lived off the grid, no running water, nothing. And it was the middle of the summer. There's a field across from my house, and the grass was probably about waist high and brown, you know, because it was summer. Everything was dried out. And there was this creature. I know my animals very well. I know every animal that is native to there. I have seen them. I lived in the middle of the woods my whole life. And I do not know what this thing was. It was almost like a kangaroo. It was jumping, pouncing through the field. And I did. I couldn't get a good look at what it was specifically but it was not a deer. I know how a deer jumps. I'm very familiar with that. I've seen them jump fences. They were always in the road, jumping over the fences as you come down. But this animal, I would say like a cross between a lemur, like a ringtail lemur and a kangaroo. Just the weirdest thing that I have ever seen. And I have another creature story 
this isn't my story. It's a close friend of mine. There is a place on Greer's Ferry Lake in Arkansas that's kind of secluded. Not many people go there, so that's the spot where we go so that we can have it to have the little shale beach to ourselves. And um, my friend was down there with her family, and as they're coming through the woods with their kids and carrying all their stuff, this animal that they described as a spider monkey jumped like a spider monkey, had a tail, and it jumped into the lake and started swimming across. And from where it jumped in, it would have had to swim quite a while to get back to land. And none of us can figure out what it was. We thought and thought and thought about it. And it's just, we don't, we don't know what it was. Anyways, that's all I have for now. Not one spooky story. Not two creepy chronicles. But three terrifying tales. Thanks, Jenny, for the entries. Now let's start with this. Check the washers on your faucets. A lot of time they'll get worn out and won't close properly. And any change in water pressure in your lines could cause them to leak. Allowing water to flow from the spigot even though the dial is in the off position. It's something most people can do on their own. But as for the feeling of dread in your upstairs space. Perhaps you should check into the room's EMF levels. Electromagnetic fields. You can get a cheap detector on Amazon or simply call an electrician and have them come out and check for you. According to some studies in most ghost television shows, strong EMFs can cause some of the symptoms that Jenny described feeling in her upstairs space. And from what I understand, some of these waves can be dangerous. So it's certainly worth looking into. But I'm afraid that's the only explanation I have for any of this terrifying behavior. Now as for the cryptids, we do know that kangaroo have been witnessed and videotaped all over the country, especially in areas down around Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas. Now as for the monkey-like creature, of course we've heard stories of the infamous devil monkeys, though I get a sense that that phenomena is more of a regional thing, if not a creepy pasta altogether. So use that explanation. It's your own discretion. Otherwise, I grew up loving a book called Summer of the Monkeys by Wilson Rawls. The tale of a young boy that finds a troop of monkeys living in a holler outside of his Ozark mountain home. Now, if I remember correctly, the monkeys escaped from a circus train and had been living in the Arkansas woods ever since. And although I don't believe this was ever claimed, I'd always had a feeling this book was based on some sort of personal experience by the author. Or maybe it was just the magic of a good book. I hadn't thought about that book in a very long time. So thanks again, Jenny, for reminding me. And more importantly, thanks for all the amazing stories. Now, do you remember back 15 minutes or so ago when we said we'd revisit the SoCal UFO connection? Well, we're almost there. But first, a little detour to the plains of Kansas. 
where Patrick is waiting with an entry. Hey, Derek, this is Patrick from Kansas. So I got a UFO story for you. I was just listening to the recent episode, and a gentleman was talking about a triangle-shaped UFO he saw over Illinois, which sparked my memory. And this probably happened in 2006, maybe 2007, so quite a ways back, back in my hometown out in western Kansas. At the time, my girlfriend lived on the outskirts of town pretty much, and uh, we would hang out on her porch or in her backyard or in her front yard or whatever, being we were pretty young. And uh, this was in the summertime, so we were out on the sidewalk path that led from the street to her house and we were just laying on the sidewalk looking up at the sky looking at the stars and coming from east headed west we saw what looked like a formation of three aircraft maybe but they were way too high up to be you know positively identified as any airplanes they just like looked like three stars basically moving in formation across the night sky and i saw it i was like hey do you see that and she was like yeah i see that and next thing you know as it gets about overhead directly overhead of us the two lights on the side of the formation on either side just do like a 90 degree turn and just they're gone they didn't disappear they flew off at like 90 degrees break of formation at such a rapid speed, it was crazy. And the middle or leading point of light just kept going for a little bit longer, maybe like a second or two, and then it booked it out of there. It was just gone. Yeah, we were pretty stunned by that. This is coming from the direction of Wichita, which had McConnell Air Force Base. So I thought at first we were seeing like maybe a formation of F-16s or something, but... They moved way too fast for any fighter jet I've ever heard of, especially back in the early aughts. And yeah, they didn't have the blinking lights either. They just looked like three stars, and the way they moved, I don't think it was anything, at least that the military would let the public know about. So that's another one of my weird stories, so hopefully you can use it. Love your podcast, man. I'll call in with more later. So take care. Bye. Thanks, Patrick. Now, although Patrick's story did not involve one of these flying triangles, it did, however, involve a series of lights flying in a formation. And that's exactly what's shown in a video that came out of the 29 Palms area of Southern California just last week. Over two years ago, on April 20th of 2021, Marines stationed at Camp Wilson witnessed and recorded something wild in the desert skies. Two years later, UFO researchers have finally released images of this experience to the world. Here's NBC News' coverage of the sighting. And if you follow a lot of the UFO incidents involving the U.S. military, you might have seen a lot of people talking about several videos of what looks like a triangle seeming to hover over a base out at 29 Palms here in California. This was all released in the last day by documentary filmmaker Jeremy Corbell. Take a quick listen. Those are not alarm rounds because alarm rounds fall. And, and nobody shoots in a five-gun section. 
There's more lights around it. This is UFOs now, Jeremy Corbell and the co-host of the podcast Weaponized, uh, George Knapp, say they have been looking into this since 2021. There's another uh, image right there. He says, according to reports from witnesses, the whole thing only lasted about 10 minutes from 8.20 when it appeared to 8.30 when it blinked out. According to Corbell, it was seen by more than 50 people, many of them Marines at Camp Wilson, who captured uh, capture those images, but they, they just couldn't explain what they saw. Now, per usual, I've included a link to the video. You can go take a look here in the show notes. But for those that won't, it's a series of five orangish-white orbs of light that, at least in a few shots, seem to be flying in a perfect triangle formation. Very reminiscent of the black triangle phenomena that we often discuss here, and almost identical to that of the Phoenix lights from over 25 years ago. And you know it's worth pointing out that this flap, in which some 50 people witnessed the activity, is located just north of Joshua Tree National Park, and less than 75 miles north of our infamous Borrego Triangle. And you know it's also worth pointing out that these strange lights look an awful lot like military flares. So much so that I think that's all we're looking at here. And apparently, there's evidence to back that up. You know, I'd love to be the one to say that I uncovered all of this, but I simply can't. That distinction goes to an investigator and YouTube host named Mick West. Here is his explanation as to how the quote-unquote craft could have been misidentified. After two years of work, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell finally released the footage of a UFO filmed by military personnel at 29 Palms, California on April 20th, 2021. It showed five lights that started out in a nice triangle formation. They said they were not flares, but a lot of people thought they looked like flares, and flares can actually hang around for several minutes. They said about 10, but the actual duration is unknown. These are not super bright, so possibly infrared illumination flares, unlike the regular illumination flares that were launched later. The shimmering of the lights indicates they are far away, so the slow descent of flares would be less noticeable. There were some claims that this low-light image showed a triangular craft, but that's really just the color bleed, which you can see around other objects in the scene. The five lights start out in a nice formation that evokes a triangle, but they quickly separate into more random positions, like flares do. Then, John Greenwald of the Black Vault discovered that there was a big military exercise at that location on that night, with a lot going on and a lot of things in the air, including flares. On one of the videos of the event, John found footage of five flares that looked very similar. I realized this looked like it was taken from the other side, so I flipped it and overlaid it, and it's a near-perfect match. Given the coincidences with date and location, and the fact that these lights look and act like flares, then I think we can safely say that these are the actual flares that were misidentified as a UFO. You know he's not wrong. If you take the UFO image and the image taken of the flares used in that exercise that evening, you get an almost exact match. It's very sus, as the kids like to say. Now, I encourage everyone to watch both of these videos and make their own distinction. For me, this is a match. This so-called sighting is nothing more than misidentified military activity. But maybe you see something there that we didn't. But you know, having spent a lot of time in this area, and having done a lot of boots-on-the-ground research there as well, 
I can tell you that, especially the further south you go, there's a lot of strange activity that does take place in this area. Strange lights in the sky, odd creatures on the ground, and ghostly spirits in between. And while I'm on the subject of that area, allow me to briefly touch on our upcoming film, Shadows in the Desert, I Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle. I finally have some news that you're all going to love. David and I have begun talks just this week to finalize a deal that should have the film out to you all very shortly. I'll update you as we continue to get close to that release, but, but after a long wait, it's finally about time. So I just ask for a little more patience while we work through this incredibly complicated process. And I ask that Kickstarter backers be patient as well. Your rewards will be going out very soon. So stay tuned to the show and or our social media for more info. And thanks, Patrick, for allowing us to segue into that fascinating deep dive. (laughs) Now, before I dive into this next entry, I need to make a correction regarding last week's episode. I mistakenly mentioned that Mexico is part of Central America. I was going off my memory and completely got that one wrong. So my apologies. Quite a number of you emailed me regarding that one. So, lesson learned. Look things up before you speak. But thank you everyone for keeping me honest. Now, this next one takes place all the way up north. Back. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. My name's Beck. I'm from Michigan. I'm calling in regards to episode 7, Sarah's comment about the Black Hills. Uh, I grew up in Rapid City. My father was stationed there, and we lived off base in a new base housing complex. I was about, I don't know, I was in 6th and 7th grade at that time. And we used to play a game called CB Tag. That goes to show you I'm about pretty old. But yeah, we would be up in the Black Hills driving around trying to find each other using CB radios. And I saw a lot of stuff as far as like lights. I mean, when you're in the Black Hills at night and this is like 11 midnight, it's pitch black. That's why they call it the Black Hills. And if we would stop and hang out, you would hear people walking through the forest you know, powwows. It's it's so enriched in history. I I miss that place. I loved it. But you would hear the horses. You would hear people talking. And it was, you know, the Lakota language. And it was, it's not uncommon to see things when you're out there late at night. One Pacific one was, uh, we used to sneak out, of course. So it's like two, three in the morning and we're walking around the complex. And I happened to look behind me because I felt like I was being watched. And sure enough, it was this man. He had long black hair pulled back. He had, you know, the traditional tribal outfit on. And he looked out of place. Like he was looking around trying to figure out where he was. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we just stopped there. Like, I should not be there. And he looked confused. And when I turned around to, you know, tell my friends, hey, there's a guy following us. When I turned back around, he was gone. 
just gone. And I got a chill. My hair in the back of my neck stood up. And I thought I heard drums, like drums of a powwow. And I shook it off because I was was the only person that saw this. And as we were walking, you know, going home, dropping everybody off, going on our way, I should say I, I didn't go by Beck at that time. This is actually how I became Beck. I started using the name. And we were walking, and out of nowhere, this eerie voice just called my name. Instead of Becky, it said, Beck. And we all turned around and looked at each other, so I wasn't the only one that heard it. And all of us got a chill to the point where we all ran home. We split, like, in our separate directions and just took off running. But, yeah, to that day, I don't know if we were, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't tell you. But no, Sarah, you're definitely correct. A lot of things happen in the Black Hills and it's not scary. It's more humbling, like a a look into the past. And it definitely made me more appreciative of our history, but also the correct history and more appreciative of our, you know, first Americans, basically. The people that we stole the land from, yeah. I don't know what else to say. This is the first time calling in, but a long-time listener, so thanks, Derek. Thanks, Beck. You know, my first few years of adulthood coincided with the pre-cell phone era. Sure, we knew people that had them, but only people with money. So instead, I had a CB radio in my truck. There was nothing more fun than chasing down your buddies based on a weak CB signal. Those were wild and completely different times. Now as for the apparition, we've all heard similar stories before. I can recall one in particular that we played on the show that took place in the Colorado area, I believe. And the Native American spirit in that experience was perched upon a horse. I also know of a few others in this vein, locked and loaded for future upcoming episodes. So perhaps this particular phenomenon isn't quite as rare as one might think. And, as Beck mentioned, if we're going to find the ghost of our first peoples, the Black Hills of the Dakotas is an excellent place to start. Big thanks again, Beck, for taking the time to share. Well, folks, that takes us to tonight's final entry. And this one is a rather strange one calling in from the state of New York. Please join me in welcoming Allison to tonight's program. Hey, Derek, this is Allison calling from New York. I've had a pretty bad week, but I've been looking forward to calling you all week. So here we go. I'm excited to share this story. Now, this isn't my own experience. This is a family member's story. However, I didn't ask for permission. So just in case they ever listened to this and didn't want their story told, I'm going to change the name. However, it won't affect the integrity of the story, and you'll see what I mean. So, this takes place in Maine. My mom's side of the family is from Maine. So, my mom's brother and his wife, they have a daughter who is about 30 now, and she has some sort of mental disability. I don't know exactly what, but she's very childlike, and I think that that contributes to some of the experiences she has. Now, the story takes place in my great-grandmother's home, which is this very old, huge 1800s era house. It's on the historical registry for this very small main town. 
and it is terrifying. I mean, I remember visiting it as a kid, and it was equal parts cool and creepy. So my cousin, this house is now in their hands. My grandfather passed away, and he left it to this part of the family. So they own this house. They spend a lot of time there, just going through the old things, seeing if there's anything of value, or just hanging out. It's a nice piece of property. So as my aunt and uncle are downstairs talking or going through business, they often hear my cousin in another room of the house having a conversation with someone and there's no one else in the house so she is having full-on conversations of course they're only hearing her side of it but she's having full-on conversations with something someone and this happens a lot she doesn't have imaginary friends anywhere else except for in this house so one story that really grabbed me was that one time they heard her getting progressively louder as she's you know refuting something from the conversation she's having and the youth is saying it's Sophie not Sophia it's Sophie her name and so they go over you know ask if everything's all right and she's like yeah and then they carry on as if nothing was wrong she's never scared she's never worried about the conversations with her imaginary friends it's never a concern to her it's just something that happens in this house so Sometime later, they're talking with the town historian. It's a very small town, so everyone runs into each other. So they're chatting with him, and he's telling them some interesting history about the house, people who have lived there, people who have died there. At one point, there was a young woman who killed herself in that house, and her name was Sophia. So I thought that was very, very spooky, and it gave me shivers when my aunt told me that. It's a very, very interesting story. There are also drawings and descriptions that my cousin will give of seeing a tall man with a tall, dark man with a hat in the house. And I always thought that was kind of creepy as it is, but this was before I got really into the paranormal and learned that the hat man was a commonplace entity that many people see. So knowing that my cousin has potentially seen and maybe had conversations with the hat man is absolutely terrifying. So that's my story, or rather my cousin's story. I hope you can use it. I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Thank you so much for letting me share. Bye. Thanks, Allison, for calling in. And I hope the bad week is over. No, I'm not going to lie. That story was incredibly creepy. I don't know what, but it certainly triggers some sort of response. But it does have me wondering if that sort of experience is all that out of the ordinary. We all know someone that has or had an imaginary friend. My cousin had a friend named Azrael that lived in the heating ducts of her home. And I did not have an imaginary friend. So anytime she would talk with it, he would creep me right out. Anyhow, all this imaginary friend talk got me wondering... So I had Delaney do a little digging, and she sent over an interesting video by SciShow Psych over on YouTube. Now this video is nearly five minutes long, so I obviously cannot play it in its entirety here, but it is chock full of interesting information regarding this odd phenomena. So I encourage you to take a look to the full video via the show notes. But here is a short sample that shares... Just a little information about imaginary friends and just how common they actually are. 
You might tend to think of imaginary friends as one of those quirks of childhood, something you outgrow and then pretend never happened, like wetting the bed. It's only when kids don't outgrow them fast enough that parents start to worry. But according to psychologists, there isn't much reason to. Imaginary friends are totally normal, even in older kids. And contrary to the stereotype, they may indicate good social skills and a healthy creative mind. Imaginary friends, which researchers call imaginary companions, are vivid make-believe characters that are treated as real. They're often invisible, but they can also be a personified toy or object, and usually they're played with and talked to for at least several months. Studies suggest they're really common. Estimates vary, but one study of 1,800 children found that 46% of them had one between the ages of 5 and 12. Another well-regarded study found that as many as 65% of children have had an imaginary friend by the time they're 7. And it's not just preschoolers. Studies have found that elementary and middle schoolers interact with imaginary friends just as much as younger kids. And even high schoolers sometimes admit to having them. The stereotypes would have you believe that having an imaginary friend, especially for that long, is a bad sign. That either the kids struggle socially or that they're mentally ill. But there's really no evidence for that. While it can be kind of jarring to watch a kid talk to someone who isn't there, researchers studying these children report that they usually have a good sense of reality. Like, they'll often make sure that the researchers know their friend isn't actually real, which isn't what people with delusional disorders do. Now, I'd also learned that the eldest child is most likely to develop one of these imaginary friendships. And females are more likely than males which kind of checks out for both my cousin and seemingly Allison's. Both cousins were female, and I know for a fact that mine was also the oldest in her family. So perhaps this is something more common than we all realize. And although it comes off as creepy to see a person interact with someone that isn't there, perhaps it's simply part of human development or a patch, so to speak, to smooth over a rough period in a child's life. Put all those explanations aside. I'd be a fool not to mention the plethora of stories just like this one that suggest this phenomena could be something sinister. Parents, what weird creepy stories do you have about your child's imaginary friend? I heard my three-year-old son talking up a storm in his room, pausing as if he's listening to another person answer him. No one was with him, so I asked who he was talking to, and he said, Grammy. She came for a visit. Grammy was my husband's grandmother who died in our house three years before our son was born. We figured she just wanted to spend some time with him. She stayed around for a couple months, then he never saw her again. Now that story courtesy of at Scare Diaries 7679 on YouTube Shorts. And the internet is absolutely full of stories just like this one. So absorb all this info. Make your own determination. And thanks again, Allison, for sharing the phone call. And that's going to do it for this episode. Per usual, we really appreciate you stopping by. And we hope to catch you here next week for a brand new installment. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you like what you hear, please take the time to follow us on social media. While you're at it, 
join us on YouTube for a like and subscribe. And if you don't mind doing me a quick favor, leave us a rate and review wherever that sort of thing might be possible. Oh, and I'm proud to announce that you can find Monsters Among Us on Sundown 96.6 on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can listen at sundown966.com or download their free app in the App Store. And occasionally, Monsters Among Us is featured on Before the Coast, on KFI AM 640 out of Los Angeles, on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Pacific Time. And if you want to hear us played more often there, write KFI a letter and let them know. Now finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Keep your eyes open out there, folks. And above all else, always keep it spooky. And have a good night. Now, tonight's bonus entry is an odd one, out of the state of Oregon. Please help me welcome this anonymous caller to the program. Hello there. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I was just recently visiting with my aunt up in Port Towns in Washington. And somehow we got on the, the conversation of dreams and then shared dreams and She told me an experience about a shared dream that she's had once that I knew I had to share here. She said it happened about 20 years ago in Utah. Her and her partner at the time were going camping in the desert. They found this gorgeous spot and posted up, set up their stuff, and then they both took off their separate ways to kind of explore around. And my aunt said she saw what was very clearly a grave in the dirt fret like looked almost fresh you could see the mound of dirt over it and when she met back up with her partner she was telling him about it and showed him it was concerning to both of them for some reason when they walked away from it they just kind of forgot about it and then that night they were sleeping in their tent my aunt said she dreamed there was a banshee running all around their tent And she woke up and told the partner, like, I had the craziest dream and told him. And he said, that's impossible. I had the same exact dream of the Banshee running circles around our tent. And they eventually pack up their camp and they leave. She said they completely forgot about the grave that they saw until 10 years later when they found themselves unknowingly back at the same exact place. They had just pulled over at some place one time 
they had no memory that they had been there until they were back there and they once again saw the grave and they couldn't believe that they had forgotten it. My aunt says it was just like someone put a forget-me spell over it because they saw the grave and even though, again, it was quite concerning, when they left, it just left their mind. And she said, as a matter of fact, I haven't really recalled the grave until I'm sharing this with you right now. So I thought that was super interesting, very spooky. I don't know the exact location, nor does she. And who knows what's buried in that grave or what kind of spookiness surrounds it. But I knew everyone on here would enjoy hearing that story as much as I did. So I hope you enjoyed. Thank you. Thanks, Scholar. Lots of spooky coincidences, indeed. And what is buried in that grave? Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the concept of the Banshee, perhaps you've heard the name, but never really understood the details surrounding the legend. Well, here you go. Courtesy of See You in History on YouTube. Another example of evil fairies are the fearsome banshees, whose cries are so loud and terrifying that they can take a person's life. Banshees live in the dark regions of forests and are often found in graveyards, where they wander among the graves, shedding tears of grief and resentment. The cry of the banshees is a harbinger of death, announcing that the end of a life is near, either the person who heard the cry or a close relative terrifying stuff. Thank you again, caller, for sharing your experience. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to make the transition from the main program to our bonus content over at the Beyond. Monsters Among Us Beyond is an additional 25 to 35 minutes of programming, accessible only by supporting us over at patreon.com. Choose the $5 level to get instant access to this and many, many more bonus episodes. And an exciting new announcement. Patreon has recently allowed us to give out free trials. So if you visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast, you get your first seven days for free. So what are you waiting for? You could be hearing calls like this one from an anonymous source and parts unknown. Hi Derek, I'm calling because I have, I think it's a little more of like a ghost story, but I'm not exactly sure what what exactly I saw. This was about 10 years ago, give or take. My mom usually has a habit of falling asleep on the couch, but she's usually in the living room, the TV's on. So I think it was maybe around 11 due to the fact that that's usually when that happens for her. I remember getting up to go to the bathroom and like kind of half asleep not paying attention to anything in the bathroom.